0: Welcome to Find Your Summit Mm -hmm. Stories podcast. Uh, I am Brian. And I'm Leah. And we are excited to be joined here by our guest, Michael Cruz, a national political reporter for Politico, among other things. Is that a fair assessment of your title? Sure. Yeah. Politico,
1: (laughs) Politico Mag. Yep. That's me.
0: We were just talking to Michael about um, being back in the podcast studio and um, how long has it been since you've been like in an in-person interview? It feels like. It's like a new world we're in early 2020. Yeah. That's wild, right? Yeah.
1: It's good to be back in an actual studio.
0: How hard was it to adjust as a journalist to sort of getting whatever access you needed to not being able
1: to do that? It certainly was a challenge. I think it was less of a challenge, um, for me than for many others, you know? Um, why is that? Well, so the biggest difference was I stopped traveling. Right, mm-hmm. which at first was kind of nice. Yeah, actually, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when the COVID cloud descended, I was in the middle of, you know, what traditionally is a very strenuous travel-heavy time for me—the thick of a presidential race, right? Mm-hmm. Primaries, so spending large chunks of months in places like Iowa and New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you're at home, which is why I say it was kind of nice. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but after a while, uh, you just, you, you don't get uh, the color, for right. lack of a better way to put it, over the phone that you do when you're out and about. Yeah. You can't <clears> see
0: <throat> people's body language or what happens when you're not recording or reading people.
1: But for me, at, at this stage in my in my career, and, and, and even at this stage in my career at Politico, I have enough people in my phone. I have enough yeah. mm-hmm. uh, knowledge in my head to pivot and make that work. And so hopefully I did that over the course of the time when we we're all sort of locked down. I think it was much, much harder for earlier in career journalists, politics or otherwise. You know, It's very necessary to be out and about meeting people face to face shaking hands i mean that's how you develop rapport yeah so i could i could live off of you know trust created with people yeah over the course of years over the phone and wait for when we could go back and really i mean i started going back out and about on the road here and there even before i was vaccinated in north carolina yeah l- regionally it's just in the last month plus when i've started to get back on airplanes and go around the country which was which has been great yeah i do not have i do not have this sort of weird problem of it's always that weird i mean everybody to each (laughs) to each his to each his own but you know a lot a lot of a lot of folks have have, have discussed the ways in which it's hard to sort of readjust after this time and Mm -hmm. to me it's like let me yeah let me out I, I, i like i like to a point, I like living yeah. in hotels and airports. There's been some level of readjustment. Mostly it's been like, I'm glad to be back out. Uh-huh. How often were you traveling prior to COVID? It depends on what I'm working on. Uh, and it depends on where I am in the political cycle. And you know, I think in two years, not four years. Um, but it just depends on the story yep. I'm working on. And so mm-hmm. there are some months when I'm out, You know, every other week, and there are some months when I'm doing a story that doesn't require as much travel, and I'm at home. So it just it just comes and goes. But there are certainly stretches where I'm I'm gone almost more than I'd like, and certainly more than my family would. Right, been. I'm but, sure. Yeah.
0: How um, were there anything that happened in 2020 where you would have ordinarily been in person that you really missed being there? You're like, gosh, like I've been able to figure this out remotely, but I missed being at this.
1: Well, so in a way there was nothing to go to, you know? (laughs) So if I had been, you know, I don't cover the campaign the way sort of a daily trail reporter does, but I do like going out on the trail and getting what I can get out of there, Mm -hmm. uh, for the purpose of my kind of story. And also for the purpose of just networking and meeting people, seeing people, Mm -hmm. having people see me out and about. right? Right. Um, but there was just, you know, even even then President Trump wasn't doing rallies for months. There was nothing to go to. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't feel like I was missing out. And so there was one story I did even covering the trail virtually, you know, saying that there is a campaign trail. It's on the computer screen. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, sort of a, a concept piece. Uh, but that was sort of effectively traveling. Um, you know, there was just less to see. Mm-hmm. The people, uh, everybody was doing politics differently for the balance of a year Mm
0: -hmm. so how hard is it to cover i mean politics in the last five years in particular has been super um that's the right word i mean it's polarizing and perhaps more than any time in our in the last generation and how challenging is it to cover it from a fairly neutral bent is that is that something that comes naturally to you i mean obviously it's trained but is that do you ever run into it where you're like Man, I just really want to say what I want to say.
1: Well, my job is to listen to people. It's not to get into fights with people, into arguments with people. It's also my job to push back at things that are patently untrue for the purpose of, for reportorial purposes, right? Sometimes that's a difficult balance to strike. You know, early on in my time at Politico, I started at Politico in basically late 14, 15, early 15. And early on, there were times when I would find myself in conversations with, you know, regular people, American citizens, I didn't know what they were talking about. And I would need to go back to the hotel (laughs) (laughs) later that night and do some Googling. Yeah. And so at this point, I've gotten to, you know, I I, I can speak that language. Yeah. Uh, I'm not, it's not my job to judge. It's my job to try to understand and to try to listen And in that respect, I find it very valuable to be reminded on a regular basis of the ways in which we are polarized, to use your word, the ways in which different people in this country live in totally different informational universes.
0: I think that's an awesome perspective. I mean, it's your job to listen. Do you feel like being a journalist has made that easier for you even as a person outside of your job or do you feel like your personality made it easier for you as a journalist is
1: it like a chicken or the egg thing yeah I don't know <laughs> I don't know how you want to look at that it's just sort of you know I do what I do because I am who I am or yeah. I am who I am because right. I do what I do <laughs> right you know I'm 43 I've been doing this depending on how you want to where you want to start the clock you know probably I started writing for the Wellesley Townsman in Massachusetts when I was 14 years old so it's it's been it's been a long time so uh, it just it's just the way the way that I'm wired. And yeah. it probably was the way that I was naturally wired or predisposed, but mm-hmm. uh certainly now it's it's a it's a it's a learned honed way of being. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes when I leave conversations with people, and this is part of my job to sort of be out and about and listen to not political professionals, but mm-hmm. Consumers, regular, yeah, regular people, right? And 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 I and I do I do find myself worrying at times <laughs> as a citizen, but also very interested as a as a reporter. And maybe that's a difficult distinction for some people to understand. Perhaps, maybe it's not. But um, you know, first and foremost, I'm a citizen, but I'm also very much a, a reporter, and so I'm in the interesting business. Yeah, and it's interesting.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so are you writing what you think is interesting, what you perceive that your readers are going to find interesting?
1: Do you feel like there's just an overlap? And important. I mean, it's not just interesting. Right. Interesting and important. And so this is very important for us right now as a country and as a democracy. And yeah. so, you know, I need to be a filter and I need to put things in context. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not a scenographer. Uh, my my role too at Politico as a as a as a magazine guy is not to just sort of report the daily news. It's to contextualize and offer mm-hmm. some perspective and and make some decisions um, about what I let people say mm-hmm. or if I let them say it, mm-hmm. put it into the appropriate context. I'm not going to let people lie unless I call it a lie. So you got to listen and you got to listen to a lot before you can figure out what you want to or need to say about whatever you're listening to if that makes any sense yeah
0: you've now been reporting i guess if you go back to wellesley 30 years call it are there any people or moments that make you nervous like do you ever feel like
1: tense or nervous in these interviews for sure depending how you want to define tense or nervous right The, I mean, I think I've worked my way into a place over time where I don't really get nervous about cold calling someone. It's not nerves like that. It's nerves like to make this story the best it can be. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I need to get out of this person what I can. Mm -hmm. And so there's a level of, anxiety about that but it's not like you know biting my nails i don't want to talk to this person Mm um and different journalists are different you know i I have plenty of colleagues and coworkers who still you know who are who are you know mid mid mid-career the way i am who still sort of talk about those nerves Mm -hmm. um knocking on somebody's door right um uh, i i I mean i guess the 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 best way to answer that question is, yeah, there are nerves and there's anxiety, but over time, I've just learned how to manage that. And, and worse than those nerves or that anxiety for me, far worse would be not giving myself the opportunity to make the story better.
0: Have you ever suffered as a journalist from imposter syndrome? or like, gosh, I, I don't know if I can, if I'm the right person to write this story.
1: Definitely. Someone I Leah talks about a lot from... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think anybody who yeah. doesn't at times or even mm-hmm. often feel like an imposter yeah. mm-hmm. is not being honest.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: At the same time, the more you do something, the more sure of yourself you get without getting too sure of yourself. I mean, you got to strike that balance, right? And mm-hmm. the more, And the more... The more you, I mean, I just try to check myself. the 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 more I feel like I can do, the more I can then try to do. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So there's always something else. There's never a I got this. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, you get to a point where it's like I can do this. Now, what else can I yeah. do? Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
2: Is there something in particular that you wish you knew
0: before you started c- your career, like? um whether it's like managing anxiety or um, anything in
2: particular
1: I don't know I don't I, I, I don't think that way mm-hmm. I I I think uh, sort of I guess organically and sequentially yeah. you know mm-hmm. I just you don't even know what you what you don't know you yeah. can do and 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 you you do what you can in that moment mm-hmm. yeah and then by doing that you give yourself License and mm-hmm. that just the capacity to do a little bit more and then you do a little bit more and then you do a little bit more And you do that mm-hmm. for years and for decades and then you're in some other place and but there is there is no place where you're like Great, it's I'm Done, <laughs> right? I know? did it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Right, right. so I don't, I don't know I and mm-hmm. I and I'm also I'm also not a person who you know started my career I mean, first of all, you don't start your career like, I'm going to have, a it's something you're building. Yeah. There's yeah. no sort of, especially now, and this isn't just a mm-hmm. journalism thing. It's like, you can't go into a thing at 21 years old and say, well, <laughs> I look forward to doing this for the next 40 years. Right. You know, yeah. it's just, you're constantly trying to make it work and, and trying to build and, and shift where mm-hmm. you need to shift and like put your head down where you need to put your head down where you can.
0: Yeah. you And you're usually not coming out of college, jumping into major national political reporting. You, you got to earn your keep a little bit.
1: Yeah and and you know I never uh thought I'd be working for a place called Politico partly because Politico didn't exist right. until 2007. <laughs> yeah. I mean I um you know things are things move so fast that you just have to you, you like I say you have to be you have to be nimble and as much as you want to put your head down and do need to do that at times you need to have your sort of head on a swivel.
0: Yeah were and, you ever on a weird beat like earlier in your journalism career were you ever like on the desk, t- taking high school sports scores or covering, like, are there anything in particular in your career that was?
1: So, you know, my first job out of my my first job out of Davidson was as the editor of an annual college basketball magazine, and I did that for a few months, and then I and then I was hired to be a basketball scout, and I did that for a couple of years, and that was that was not, in retrospect, the the uh, the most traditional way to get into journalism. <laughs> And then I went to a small nominally national magazine about basketball called Basketball America, and then that went on a business, and that necessitated me getting a job. And so then I started in newspapers, and my job at the Times-Herald Record in downstate New York was... This and this, this this speaks to sort of the difference in media, but the uh, media landscape, but my job was the Major League Baseball beat writer for like the eighth or ninth largest New York, wide, wider <laughs> New York Metro newspaper, right? I mean, 100,000 Cirque at the time. 100,000 Cirque at this point it makes you a major Metro. Right. Mm-hmm. But at that time, you know, you, you were aware of where you sat on the pecking order in the New York City media market, but my job was to basically go to the home game every day. Hmm. Like the Mets and the Yankees are always, one of them is always at home. right. And so I'd go to that game,
0: and then go to the locker room, yeah. the clubhouse.
1: Discovering kind of major league baseball at a time when I probably shouldn't have been too young, didn't really know what I was doing, yep. but you know, decent experience. But very quickly, after about a year, realized it's, a, it's something I want to do. It just I feel like I'm writing the same story every yeah. day with, like, oh, with yeah, a, with a different score and a different set of uh you know hits and outs. <laughs> <laughs> and so got out of got out of sports partly because of that, and then went to. The St. Pete Times in Florida, which is now the Tampa Bay Times, and covered courts in an outlying county in the Tampa Bay area. I mean, rural Florida. Uh, Probably some great court
0: cases in rural Florida. Awesome. Awesome. (laughs) Awesome beat. Yeah.
1: Awesome beat. Also did the business beat for Hernando County, Florida. And then that led to sort of a more roving general assignment, also in a suburban bureau. And then that led to the downtown office in St. Pete, where I was sort of more roving general assignment, you know, state stuff. All of which is to say, like, I've had a varied career with beats, Mm -hmm. and now my beat at Politico is I don't have a beat uh, other than probably, you know, the way I sometimes put it, is I write about the people in politics who matter the most and why, and that means presidential candidates, that means sometimes the president, that means people, members of Congress who can Mm -hmm. say something larger, uh, or that means candidates who also can help me sort of Illuminate some trend worth thinking about. You just politics.
0: wrote a story about Caitlyn Jenner,
1: right? I did, yeah. Went out mm-hmm. to California for Caitlyn Jenner. How was that experience? Frustrating. Um, I was out there for a week, and I went out there for a week to basically present myself to spend some time with Caitlyn. And it was suggested to me by some folks on her team that that would happen. Mm-hmm. And so I went out there, and I didn't go out there just to loiter in Malibu and wait for Caitlin. There were other meetings and other report, other pieces sure. of reporting to do. But mm-hmm. eventually, it turned into a twenty-minute phone call. Me sitting in the parking lot of her regular Starbucks with her sitting up the hill uh, in her in her house uh, in Malibu, which. Eventually, I mean, it, it's part of the story, right? Right. Mm-hmm. It, it, it you take what you what you get, and it, and yeah. it, it that itself, that experience is sort of was revealing. Not mm-hmm. To get too deep into the weeds with that story, but so you 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 incorporate every reporting experience into the story mm-hmm. because it matters. But you know. It might have been better if I had (laughs) been able to spend a day with Caitlin in her house in Malibu rather Mm -hmm. than uh, sort of being a weird TMZ slash (laughs) Politico paparazzi down at her Starbucks. Hey,
0: it's Michael again.
1: (laughs) So, but I mean, you know, her candidacy is interesting. It says something. Mm -hmm. uh, It says something worth uh, considering about our current moment in politics. And so, Mm -hmm. again, you know, it's sort of an extension of, of I never went to Politico. I mean, let's put it like this. When I interviewed at Politico in, say, November of 2014, never did the name Donald Trump come up in my conversations with people yeah. mm-hmm. who eventually would would offer me a job. We <laughs> talked about Hillary Clinton. <laughs> we talked about Jeb Bush. Yeah. talked about Ted Cruz. We never talked about Donald Trump. But then Donald Trump, over the last half a decade of my life, has been a very important mm-hmm. subject, yeah. to say the least. And I never likewise, I never expected to in the, in my role at Politico, I never expected to go out to LA and Mm -hmm. loiter in Malibu to try to write a 7,000 word profile of Caitlyn Jenner. But here we are. Mm Yeah. And, uh, and it's very interesting and it's, and it's, and it, and I like it.
0: I think that it speaks (laughs) to how quickly things evolve and maybe I'm living in the present more, but it feels like the evolution of who's relevant, who's not relevant is like at warp speed right now. It's like, you know, you have your 15 minutes of fame. This person is going to be a great political candidate and then you don't hear from them again. And like Trump comes out of nowhere. And then, and I I feel like as a journalist, there's got to be some part of that that's frustrating and some part that's thrilling. Like, I have no idea who you're going to be covering six months from now.
1: For sure. And that was true pre-Trump era, right? Yeah. You know, one of the things that I've come to uh, understand about my job at politico and a life writing about politics is that in some ways at least for me the most nerve-wracking moment is not like the run-up to a presidential where your metabolism speeds up and like everybody is watching what what you're watching all the time right it is say the week after election day midterms or presidential because for everything that stays the same you have a totally different playing field it's a totally different board Mm -hmm. there are different people there are different dynamics balance of power has shifted even in elections where it doesn't shift a ton right Mm -hmm. it still shifts and you have different players and because of people being plucked out of the equation or inserted into the equation the entire thing looks different so have to get your legs underneath you at least I. this is the way i feel you know and for me the second step of that thought process is and now where do i go for stories you know what's important mm. uh what are the places that are now important that didn't used to be as important who are the people who now have more power who didn't used to have as much power mm-hmm. and those are calculations that you need to make pretty quickly to then move whether it's just source work or Mm -hmm. literally stories that need to appear in a week or three weeks or three months. So everything is always changing as much as I think, I mean, even well-informed citizens who follow politics, quote unquote, I don't know that it, that there is that feeling quite so viscerally as it is for somebody who professionally is in Mm -hmm. my position at this point.
0: Do you work on multiple stories at the same time?
1: yeah almost always i mean it's very rare when i'm just like going yeah. forward on one thing there's always there's always at least a sort of slow boil story over here or a couple stories that i'm working at picking at you know keeping in touch with people you know keeping the lines open um, stories that that uh, might work well months from now mm-hmm. um I know, the former editor of Politico used to have this phrase, um, Susan Glasser is now at the New Yorker, you to know, you, you learn how to see around the corner, um, especially if you're working, if you're doing magazine work in mm-hmm. politics, because in some ways it's easier to just respond to the stories of the day, right. not even of the day at this point of the hour, right? right? Mm-hmm. It's harder to sort of scan the horizon, both immediate term and long term, and say, what might people need to read? A month from now yeah Mm -hmm. and so you know there was a there was a considerable i'd say learning curve for me when i first got to politico on that front
0: Do you have a lot of stories that are saved on the hard drive somewhere that are have never seen the light of day i would imagine you've pursued stories for a while and then had to punt on them for any given reason
1: it doesn't happen quite as often as you might think but because always make something out of them right or try to you know there is a story that you know sits somewhere on my laptop. Yeah, I wrote two a, a version, a version of what I used to do at times covering Major League Baseball. You know, there, um, especially a World Series games, ALCS games, because those three, those two years I did that job, two thousand three and two thousand four. The Yankees made the World Series. No, wait, made the World Series in two thousand three, and the Red Sox Red Sox yeah. beat them in, o- in, o- the, in in yep. in oh four, right? So, nonetheless, you know, uh, uh, tight uh, watched, you know, Yankee Red Sox rivalry. Yeah, high profile sporting events, yeah. (laughs) With extreme deadlines because those games start at, like, 8.30 at night, right? And they need to get in the paper. need to get in the paper. And don't get in, like, the early editions. You know, we used to have the, the Catskills edition, like, the first one that rolled off the press. Like, they didn't get last night's game. But nonetheless, I mean, I would often write, basically, two different stories. And in that Game 7, that Red Sox-Yankees Game 7, that yep. in 3 when the Yankees won and went to the World Aaron Series, Boone, the Aaron homerun, Boone yep. home run. I mean, I'm sitting at. I mean, I literally have two different stories, and it's not just Yankees win, Yankees lose. It's like tectonic plate shift in right. like in the in the history of the Yankees right. Red Sox rivalry, right?
0: Are you sitting there during the game writing them
1: both? Actually, yeah. I mean, they're two stories. <laughs> they're two stories. You know, the Red Sox reverse the curse, right? The Yankees, you know, Crushed continued the again. curse right. of the Bambino. I mean, they're two totally different sporting universes That's and the two stories sitting there and the minute sitting in the press box the minute that ball left air i didn't even see it go in the stands. Were- i closed i uh, you know off his bat it's headed into yeah. the left field stands click close on the red Sox reverse the curse story <laughs> oh wow the last couple sentences of the yankees win story shoot it to the office I say that because I wrote two stories mm-hmm. about President Donald Trump heading into the 2020 election. I mean, long stories that are sort of ready to go. Yeah. And as it turned out, of course, we didn't we didn't know for sure, right. and so we're sitting on it for like a week and an additional <laughs> week or so. But I'm, I have two stories. Yeah, it's like Trump won. Trump is reelected, and here's how. Mm-hmm. Trump didn't get reelected, and here's how, Wow. and here's why. And and actually, weirdly, and I, I said this to a lot of people while reporting those stories, it was, you almost reporting the same story and writing it differently. Like the same things that could have let him win yeah. were the things that could have and did make him lose. Mm-hmm. So it actually, oddly, wasn't as two stories. It was just different frames of the same story. <laughs> but anyway, Two stories. It's like
0: when children in other countries get the shirts of the, you know, they print like World Series exactly. champion Boston Red Sox and they lose and they send that 20,000 <laughs> shirts to different countries. And right. All those kids in other countries think different results happened that actually did. Right. It's like your stories just exist out there somewhere.
1: <laughs> right. And, they'll, and no, nobody, will, nobody will ever see it. And I'm glad about that. Um, and um, that's fine. But needed to have that ready. Again, as it turned out, we had some days uh, to to sit on those things and stew about it uh, and rework some things. But, you know, heading into election night, I had had two uh, utterly different uh, Trump headlines. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. Wow. Do you have um, a process of sorts into your creativity of, like, do you have a writing room? Do you have a place? Do you have... Do you listen to music? Is there anything or is it sort of do it as you need to do it?
1: Well, so since the summer of 2016, I've lived here in North Carolina since 17, I've lived in Davidson. I have an office in my house and that's where I do most of my work when I'm not working at summit. Yeah. Um hoping to get back to that more as, yeah. we, as we come out Me of COVID. Too. <laughs> Um So that's where I do my work and I, and, 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 and yet, I, I don't have, I don't, I'm not one of those people who needs, like, a very specific right. place. Like, I could ride in airplanes. I yeah. could ride in hotels, partly because I have to. Right. Yeah. Um, and I do not listen to music when I when I write. Um, uh, gets in the way of what's going on in sure. my head for me. And lots of people are different. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know I have lots of friends and colleagues who, who very much have sort of soundtracks to which they're popping headphones.
0: And yeah.
1: yeah, that's not me though.
0: Um, if you weren't covering politics, what would you want to cover? If you could cover anything, if you're like, man, I can choose to
1: be on this beat. I don't know. Again, I don't, it's not how I think this is where I am right now. <laughs> this is where I am right now. Do and you I, miss sports like at all? It. Sometimes, but you know, I'm pretty pragmatic Seems like it. Yeah, Politics right now is a good place for me to be. Mm-hmm. It's important. People are interested in it. It's a good place for me to do the thing that I do for work, pay my bills, feed my kids. It's interesting, when I left the Tampa Bay Times and when I started thinking about how I needed to leave the Tampa Bay Times because of the state generally speaking, of the newspaper industry and what I could see and what mm-hmm. I couldn't see uh, 2, three, five, 10, 20 years into the future. I thought about sports, and I thought about politics. Uh, I thought about some other things. But in retrospect, it was probably a really good move to go to politics rather than to try harder to go you know, latch on to a place like ESPN. Right. Um, not that that's not a great place to do some really good work still, but it's been a good time, actually.
0: <laughs> that was my real sliding doors moment was I was a finalist to be an editor for ESPN in L.A. Um, when I was a journalist and didn't get the job, and so I left journalism and, and bought part of Summit, and now here we are. <laughs> right. I, and just, you, you, I
1: left journalism. You, <laughs> go through, you go through the door that you go through and then you make that place work as well as you can make it work, right? So I Totally. Don't, I don't, I don't, it's not to say that if I had gone somewhere else other than Politico, it wouldn't have worked out. I, right. I mean, would have tried to make it work
0: out. Seems like your person's right. I'm here and I'm here. And so I'm going to be here, not wondering where else I could be or should be. You know, I didn't go to the
1: St. Pete Times thinking, I'm going to get really interested in Florida. <laughs> no, it's just, it's just, that's I live in Florida and I'm a curious person. I am professionally and also personally a curious person. So, and Florida's super interesting. Yeah. Everything's super interesting. That's the thing. Wherever you are and whatever you're paid to look at, you better be super interested in it. (laughs) Totally. And, and uh, if you're not sort of authentically really interested, get there, find a way to be authentically interested in it. And I don't think that's just a reporter thing. That's like a, human. That's a human thing. Like <laughs> wherever you are, be into it. And so mm-hmm.
0: um I like that perspective. Mm-hmm. Are are there people or a person or an event that you would love to cover that you have like to write a story on like gosh, I would love to profile like
1: You know, you keep you keep you keep getting me to a place where I feel like I'm a broken record. I, it's just when it's, not that, how when, it's not how I think. When that when that person shows up, you know, I wasn't int- interested. I wasn't super interested in Caitlyn Jenner until I was, okay, and then I was. Yeah. Still, right. Uh, the challenge with the Caitlyn Jenner story was, I work for Politico, therefore I need to put her in, you know, an appropriate, interesting, compelling political context. Her life, her, her long arc is unique. Yeah. There is no story like her story. Mm-hmm. So, if you're just writing a biography, like an unauthorized biography of Caitlyn Jenner, could be really interesting. But like my job <laughs> as the <laughs> reporter not from Politico is not quite that. Mm-hmm. It, it is to understand that, mm-hmm. but it, it, but it, but to understand that so that you can put her into you know a compelling political context. Mm-hmm. So. I just there is not. I don't know. There. I don't. I don't think about is there a person that I really want to write about. I think about who, who haven't I. Who is really interesting and who who do I need mm-hmm. to get to,
2: mm-hmm.
1: or even who's not. Who's, who who maybe am I not interested <laughs> in so so uh, so uh, so much, but should be. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know there they are always there are always people like that, sort of roaming the political landscape mm-hmm. that. Um, you know i need to be i need to be thinking about and ultimately need to go learn about and try to spend time with we're interrupting this interview with Michael Cruz
0: to let you guys know that we are growing quickly as a franchisor we are expanding around Charlotte, Asheville and the triangle areas of North Carolina plus tons of other cities around the United States and we want to talk to you about how you can bring a summit to your community. So please go to summitcoffee.com backslash franchising and schedule a time to talk. We look forward to getting to know you a little bit better. Now back to the pod. Can I ask you a little bit about um, journalism, in the age of social media, particularly Twitter? I'm fascinated by, um, we were just talking about how that's the platform that I use the most and I think it's from my time as a journalist because I was on it all the time. Do you find Twitter as a, is it something that you like? Is it a necessary evil to use? Do you use it as a microphone or are you there listening as well?
1: Both. And I try to make Twitter work for me rather than the other way it's around. It's a wild, wild west out there. I don't work there. for Twitter. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. There are days when I do not tweet. Mm-hmm. That's either because I'm very busy trying to finish a story, or because I just feel in my heart that I need a Twitter. <laughs> you break. need a break. I Good listen to myself. You know, uh, and nobody misses me. Nobody misses anybody. You know, the minute you get back on Twitter and start tweeting again, everybody's still there. That's and exactly it's fine. right. So, I don't feel like I'm at all a slave to Twitter, but Twitter has been useful, and it's been useful to promote my own work, but more than that to promote the work of friends and coworkers and more than even that, a way to uh, listen and read and um, bring together a group of people. I see it as a as a set of eyes, you know, I follow. I think five thousand people on Twitter and that's developed over to very much over time. Mm-hmm. And it's just people often, I mean, I, I also follow people sort of in the in the in the world of, you know, professional politics that I just need to follow. Sure. Right. But I mean, even that, like they're looking at things I should probably mm-hmm. have come across my radar screen. Mm-hmm. And then there's sort of professional colleagues or competitors. What are they looking at? What are they tweeting? What are mm. they thinking about? Um, and so I, I use it almost as a news feed. And I also use it as a, as a, as a promotional tool. And I don't, I don't, there are certainly people who do what I do and who just do not do Twitter and that's fine. But I don't think, I don't think that's quite an option for me and I don't even Mm -hmm. think that's something I want to do. It's just, it's a tool that I, that I want to use.
0: That's where I, that is my primary day-to-day news source. Mm -hmm. And I follow people strategically based on, not only who writes important articles, but to your point, who shares, who retweets articles of people that I want to be reading. But that's where I go
1: to get my news. I mean, people people sometimes say, oh, Twitter's in the garbage on there. Oh, Facebook, the feed is just so polluted. That's your fault. Mm-hmm. Totally. You're following the wrong people. Mm-hmm. You, have, you have collected the wrong set of information. And so you have to make those things. And I, I understand, like, not everybody is as sort of professionally trained and professionally savvy <laughs> to create this ecosystem, but like the ecosystem you experience on social media, whether it's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, whatever is your fault or your, or to your credit, mm-hmm. that's something you create. That's, and so sometimes I worry about that in terms
0: of the, which side of the aisle I'm getting news from. Cause I follow, I find that I follow people that have a similar mindset. And so like, I think I'm aware enough of both sides of things, but I also worry that I'm not because of the people that I choose to follow. Because one of the things with me in social media is I I choose not to follow things that are gonna make me have any sort of adverse reaction. Like if there's somebody that says things or posts things on Instagram that I find myself often remarking on in a negative way, I'm like, I'm just going to not follow that because I don't wanna have that feeling. But then I feel like I'm sort of censoring my own view on things.
1: This has been solved for me by making my living in politics. Like, I, I, I follow people who make their living in politics. I mean, I don't make my living in politics. I make my living covering politics. Right. But mm-hmm. but uh, the people who do make their livings in politics that I follow are from, obviously, both sides of the aisle. Mm-hmm. And so I see what both sides of the aisle are engaging with. That's not to say that like I'm not, I, I don't, I mean, I try to stay out of the absolute toxic, fever swamp stuff. But at the same time, like I do want to see some of that. Mm -hmm. Just know what's out there. Know what's in sort of the, the the bloodstream of the body politic.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. As a parent, do you talk to your children about this stuff? Like how old are your kids?
1: 14 and seven.
0: Yeah. I have a seven year old and then the younger, but do you, are you engaging with them about um, what you're covering and what you're seeing? Or I mean, are you trying to filter the world for them in any way or is it sort of a,
1: sometimes i let them come to me you know uh i mean this is the case with lots of kids and parents they just you know their parents just go to work and that you know that's what they do so you know sometimes especially like the height of election seasons i get questions um, you know particularly from my older daughter but even my younger daughter, I mean, it was hard to avoid sort of the the omnipresence of Trump in particular over the last couple of years. And even for my, you know, now seven-year-old, yeah. I mean, she's five or six and she, every once in a while Trump would come up in her conversation oh, totally. in a way that would su- surprise me, you know, is like, <laughs> how is this, how is this, where is this coming from? How is this penetrating? Right, you were at I'm, kindergarten yeah, and right. you came
0: home with this thought about, you
1: know, so, uh, so I, I, I I answer questions, but it's not like I sort of. Force politics talk on on my kids (laughs) Uh, or even with my wife. It's just, it's, it's, there's a, there's a level of sort of work life separation too. Maybe in particular because I work out of my home and that was true before COVID. You know, it's just like I, I'm in my office, I'm doing my thing. Mm -hmm. I'm out of my office, we're sitting on the deck and having a beer, you know, Mm -hmm. to the extent that I can. That's not always, that's not always super possible, but to the extent and when I can do that, I do that. Is there anybody? We'll wrap
0: up here shortly. We're taking a lot of your time. Is there anybody um out there right now that you are following that is inspiring you, exciting you, you know, that you're learning from? Anyone in particular that you're like, gosh, this person's doing great things.
1: Um <laughs> You know, I have a, a community of colleagues and friends. Um, we get together, we didn't last fall for obvious reasons, but we get together every fall in Georgia, sometimes a dozen of us, sometimes more and talk shop, talk story, but really just sort of have fellowship. Mm -hmm. Um, that helps me, um, be sort of constantly inspired about my work, but also just increasingly over time, we've been doing this for going on a Decade and a half, and so, you know, the, sort of the the, the ringleaders of this group are Tom Lake, who works now at CNN. Ben Montgomery now works for Axios, and in in in, the, in Tampa, um, who was a colleague. Both of them were colleagues mm-hmm. of mine in St. Pete, in that area, uh, and then many others, magazine writers from around the country. Um, You know, that that is that is the group that sort of is my constant. Do you guys meet like Source at a
0: cabin in the woods? It sounds like this is like there's something a little
1: underground about it. <laughs> right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I mean, what you're describing it is like no. we meet in Georgia in <laughs> South Georgia <laughs> in the woods. No, like actually that we do. Um, <laughs> uh it, it, yeah, it's at, it's at uh it's at a it's for, usually it's at a uh it's at sort of Tom's family compound. Yeah. And um it's awesome. It is. It is. It is a. Uh, it is an annual opportunity to recharge, and not just workwise. We wanted to create a conference that want, that was the kind of conference we wanted. Mm-hmm. Like leave behind all the stuff we didn't like about journalism conferences, and and mm-hmm. and have the stuff that we do like. So, you know, we t- we very seriously talk about stories, and then we. Have drinks and we play music and we sing and uh, and we do that for a long weekend and that is a that is I almost set my 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 you know, annual clock to yeah. it and so um, that's been a very valuable thing and I think it's it's interesting I was out uh, you know in L A. Um, a couple of weeks ago, and met with um, Amy Wallace, who's a magazine writer out there, and she's part of the she's part of the group. She's part of the community. I had dinner with her and, and her husband, and her husband's in, in the finance industry. And he was asking about questions about how to do that with his coworkers and colleagues How to retreat. Yeah, and I like I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not sure if it's like totally transferable, but why wouldn't it be? Yeah, you know, um, to to have that sort of I think it'd be a different vibe if you get a
0: bunch of bankers yeah. together and like
1: bunch of be, money movers let's really right. talk shop and have, and have fellowship and throw back too many too many drinks um but i mean some version of that i think could exist with regardless of your your vocation totally yeah
0: well i appreciate your time this has been great yeah thanks it was Thank fun you. keep up the great work Alright, before we go, we're going to call Lewis Beard, uh, who wrote our theme song and also released his new album this morning. I don't know if Lewis is awake and he has no idea that we are calling him but uh, we're going to dial him and ask him about his new album. Here we go. Brian. Lewis, um, you are live on the podcast with me and Leah, just so you know.
3: Right now? Yes, we wanted
0: to call her to talk about Mega Turquoise.
3: How dare you? <laughs>
0: Um, congratulations!
3: Hey, thank you so much. It's pretty exciting.
0: You're one of our favorite ever podcast guests. And so we, <laughs> Lee and I were talking about this morning. We we're like, yes, we have to call Lewis.
2: Have to. Oh man,
3: am I on, I'm on the greatest hits list?
0: You are. Yes! Congratulations.
3: <laughs> well, thank you. It's very nice to talk to y'all this morning. How's it going up there?
0: Um, it's great. How? Congratulations on your album. How do you feel? Did you wake up feeling like older or funnier or more <laughs> talented or destined for success?
3: man all all four of those things for sure i woke up and i said to myself i feel like all four of these adjectives that brian will lift off me
0: i feel Um, i feel older
3: i definitely feel older uh (laughs) but i always i always feel older in the morning because i literally am and i think about it a lot uh uh, but yeah i feel good it's it's been a it's been a pretty wild ride um it's good to get this thing finally out the door and like i don't really know what happens now i've done so much of this social media stuff in the last uh three or four months I guess, but it's gonna be weird to not have like the content available, like things that are coming up to be released soon. Content to generate more of that.
0: Content. Uh, <laughs> It's what I said. Content that's king.
3: Content. That's yeah, what they tell me. And I'm, I, I'm, I'm so tired of content. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's been it's been interesting. I, I worked at this PR company for a little bit for a lot of this, and that really hasn't panned out into a whole lot. So that's one thing that I've learned from this is that like, should we call them too? <laughs> Doesn't really work too well. Yep. Yeah, should true. we call them
0: and should we have a th- a third call on the line and, and Ooh, talk to them about their sounds, uh, PR strategy?
3: Yeah, that could be contentious, but we could do it. It depends on like what kind of podcast y'all want to run. <laughs>
0: um, we're putting you at the end of an interview we we're doing with um, Michael Cruz, who's a national political reporter. So this is going to be a great uh, segue <laughs> in, into Lewis, yeah. into waking Lewis up. <laughs>
3: Yeah. How how did you make that segue? You just say, oh, we're just going to go ahead and call Lewis and see if he picks up. Yes, that's
0: exactly right. Lee and I both enthusiastically put on our headphones. Um, just so you know, so I've already gone running to your album and then my kids and I listened to it all the way through on our Alexa. And wow. then Yeah, that's what we listened to this morning. And then uh, I sent it to my brother, Tim. Um, and he's already commented on some of your songs. So we're really starting to spread the word. I think you need to hire me as your PR agency.
1: Clearly.
3: I mean, seriously. Y'all have gotten through more of the music than anyone else possibly could have. <laughs> I, I did wake up to a text from Tim saying that he's listening to the whole thing, I was like, Tim, how did you even know it was out? Like, I'm glad you
0: <laughs> <laughs> Well, Lewis, I, we get started early in Davidson. I was like, on my run, I was like, oh my God, Mega Turquoise is out. <laughs> and I like, stopped well, like I still. hope
3: it made for some good running music. I, I didn't really like make it to be for running too, but that I hope it's got some good beats.
0: It does. It's great. Uh, especially uh, Paris again. Is that is your opening track?
3: That's the leadoff track.
0: Oh, it's really good. I've only listened to that five times.
3: Um <laughs> Yeah, that I wrote that song in two thousand twelve, so it's nice Whoa. that it's actually oh, recorded wow. and out there.
0: Yeah. Well, um, I my real hope is that by the end of the year when you get those Spotify superlatives that <laughs> they tell me I'm the number one listener of the wirelight in the entire world.
3: <laughs> I mean I hope that's the case too. And I feel like it's, it's, and it's inevitable at this point. Like why would that not be the case when you get your Spotify <laughs> results?
0: I mean, if if, if, it, right, if it's not me, I'm going to find out who that person <laughs> is and have them on the podcast too. Like, not, how much do you listen you, to this?
3: That's going to be either you or literally Maggie's mom.
0: So we'll have Maggie's mom on the podcast next. <laughs> yeah.
3: That sounds also interesting and potentially contentious. <laughs> are
0: you, are you doing anything else to support the album? Are you, um, talking to anybody? Are you playing any gigs? Are you going out to breakfast today?
3: <laughs> uh, I just made a smoothie and some coffee. so That's what I've rewarded myself with for breakfast. Um,
0: oh, no, double liquid breakfast.
3: Uh, my liquid breakfast, my, my morning drink.
0: It sounds like you're, um, you're we're well prepared to be a 78-year-old.
3: I, I am 78. How old am I? I don't know. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, as far as gigs, go, you know, I can think of one that I'm playing that you're probably aware of too, uh, taking place at Summit Coffee. Yeah, two weeks from 00. today. Yeah, which is very exciting.
0: So you I and Tim with... Helfrich.
3: Mm-hmm. Yep. Tim Helfrich, Lana Sims, gonna do some Davidson alum jamming at Summit.
0: Sounds perfect. Well, uh yeah. congratulations. I hope Loring goes well today. <laughs> and oh, thank uh, you. we're just gonna we'll play some mega turquoise out for the for the podcast today.
3: Yeah, that sounds awesome. Um what song are you gonna choose?
0: I don't know. Josephine <laughs> probably.
3: I feel like you wrote that I, one. I feel like you wrote said. that one for me. <laughs> I think I told you about that one like very uh, secretively, like six months ago. I was like, Brian, there's one song you're really going to like. Yeah. I think it was that
0: one. Yeah. My (laughs) kids really liked it too. Well, um, the album is out. It is Mega Turquoise by The Wirelight. Lewis, congratulations, and we will talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks. Great to talk to y'all this morning. (laughs) Bye.
2: Bye.